Hello and welcome to Medieval Murder, the podcast that brings all things gruesome and historical to the comfort of your own home or car or wherever it is you're listening from. My name is Hannah Prettyman and I'm here with my father, Kevin Prettyman. Hello. To discuss some of the most famous and infamous murders that took place in the medieval and early modern periods. Medieval Murder came to be first as a blog, then as an Instagram, and now as a podcast after I finished my master's dissertation on homicide in early medieval England. The podcast will feature some of the most famous murders in medieval history, some mini-episode series on different types of medieval murders, and interviews with historians and history enthusiasts alike. Today, we will be talking about the Battle at Perth in 1396, otherwise known as the Battle of North Inch, and the Curse of Seth Moore. Yeah, so I was doing some research, and there's this grave in Scotland of Seth Moore, and it says that he was. The, it said he was the lone survivor of the Battle of Perth in 1396. So that kind of piqued my interest. One because his grave is cursed, and there's a curse that goes along with it where people have died. And but then I wanted to find out more about the Battle of Perth. So at the end, at the end, we're going to talk about this guy's cursed grave, and maybe. A little bit about who he really was but i want to really talk kind of about the battle of perth and actually it's a clan feud that's been going on that had been going on in the in the 1300s back in in scotland so i want to kind of talk about that so the battle of perth or the combat at perth took place in 1396 um, or it's called the Battle of North Inch, and it took place in Perth. But actually, today there's a North Inch Park and a South North Inch Park um, in Perth, and one of those parks is where the battle actually took place. So you could like go and if you figure out which park it is, um, you could go and kind of see where these guys fought and actually died which I, I kind of think would be really kind of cool. But this battle in 1390, 1396 has its roots all the way back to 1370 because there was bad blood between Clan Cameron and Clan Chatham. And the Macintoshes were big in the Clan Chatham. And they these guys, Clan Cameron and Clan Chatham fought each other in the Battle of Invernerhoven in a dispute over the lands of Glenful, Glenlow, and Loch Argig, which is A-R-K-I-G. So I'm not sure what prompted this, but the Camerons were returning from a raid in Bannock when they were overtaken by Clan Chatham at Invernerhoven. Man, I'm killing these words. Sorry. <laughs> um, but Clan Chatham at the time was led by the Macintosh chief and was defeated during the first engagement despite having a larger force. Now, I couldn't find out why um, Clan Chatham was overtaking Clan Cameron. I don't know if maybe Clan Cameron had raided their lands and they were coming back to catch up to them. But but anyhow, so the, the first engagement, you know, Clan Chatham should just really wiped out Clan Cameron 
because they had superior numbers, which means they had a lot of guys because there was 400 guys with the Camerons. Okay. But, but things didn't go quite as they had planned. So to be on the right wing or the right flank of the battle at the time was considered to be an honor. And there, in Clan Chatham, there was um, the Davidsons and the McPhersons. And they both wanted to be on the right flank. But the McIntosh chief, for whatever reason, he picked the Davidsons. And the McPhersons, in response to that, were like, no, we're, we're not going to go now because we wanted the honor. So they didn't join them for the first engagement of the battle. So without the McPhersons, the Clan Chatham was defeated by the Camerons. So they all kind of regrouped, and they're going to fight again, I guess. And the McIntosh chief, he's like, I know what to do. So he sent a guy to the McPhersons, and he's like, you guys are cowards. You're going to be known as cowards because you didn't fight in this battle, and you didn't come and help your own clan. And, you know, so they laid it on thick and made them, made them feel bad. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, the, the McPhersons went back to battle. And they were able to defeat Clan Cameron. And the Clan Cameron, they fled from the field. And they, they retreated toward the pass of Normature, skirting the end of Loch Erich and turning west to the River Treg. And then that just kind of flows out. Um, that river will flow out to the, the very west shore of Scotland there. Okay. And I guess there was a famous um, chief, clan chief from Clan Cameron, uh, Chief Doomley Doobie. He killed that one, too. But it's not known if he was actually leading Clan Cameron at the time. Maybe this Charles McGinley, who was killed in the battle, might have been leading Clan Cameron. I'm not sure Okay. Um, if it kind of made a difference in, like, how how the battle would have gone had the real chief been there. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so they have this battle in 1370. So, you know, over the next 26 years, I'm not sure if there was like some minor skirmishes or maybe, I don't know, there probably weren't pubs at the time, but I kind of envisioned some drunken brawls between the between the two different clans there in, in the Scottish Highlands. You know, I'm not sure. But this bad blood spills over again in 1396. So I'm sure there's been a lot of fighting and generally causing a little discourse in, the, in Scotland between these two clans. And at the time, um, King Robert III of Scotland, he's like, you know, I can't have this. This is not, <laughs> you know. So he sends a David Lindsay who was the first Earl of Crawford in Dunbar, to attempt to get these two clans to settle their differences amicably. Okay. But the two clan chiefs, they weren't having it. They're like, no, we don't like each other. We're going to, you know, we're going to continue doing our thing. Yeah. So the two chiefs, they suggest combat between the members of the two clans. 
with the monarch's honors going to the victors and a pardon to the defeated. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if, because they've been feuding, if there was like some charges being laid by the king on either either clan for their involvement. You know, because I'm not sure why you would pardon the defeated. Yeah, because they've been defeated anyway. Right. And I'm not sure what the monarch's honors are. If maybe whatever they were disputing over or feuding over, the monarch gave to them. That could be. You know, if if it was the lock or the land, if the monarch gave it to them. Yeah. But... But anyway, so it results in this battle of the clans being set up um, between these two clans in Perth or North Inch um, in 1396. And they picked the day, the Monday before um, Michaelmas Day. And Michaelmas is a feast in the Christian religion to honor the archangel Michael. And I, you know, I'm trying to give you guys a time frame for it to happen. And it, there, there was a Western calendar and an Eastern calendar at the time. And if they were going by the Western calendar, this battle took place in September. If they're going by the Eastern calendar, it took place in November. So just trying to give you a, an idea of when it would have taken place. And actually, I think in the, the national, library there in Edinburgh, there's actually a reference, there's a receipt where for like timber and nails and some metal for building uh, building kind of an enclosure um, for this battle. And the receipt was for like 14 pounds, I think. And So the enclosure is just the area they, they battle in? Correct. And what they did was they built this enclosure um, to kind of keep the spectators out of the way. Okay. Because we're going to... But in addition, they built like a platform overlooking the battlefield so the king and his court could watch the proceedings. Okay, that makes sense. You know, and, you know, and it's kind of disputed between the numbers of 30 and 50. But most historians agree that that there was 30 members of each clan on each side that were going to do this battle. Okay. Um, so, so it wasn't like the two clan chiefs just like... Just the two of them battling it out. <laughs> right. No, they, they got like... They, I guess they picked like 30 of their fiercest warriors and they assigned them they were going to take place in this clan battle. Okay. And you know, and it, it was a is a super violent event that was about to take place. I mean, they were using battle axes mm. and swords, and I think they said taggarts, which I found out is actually a shield. Mm. You know, knives. You know, anything you can think of in 1396 that you would try and kill somebody with, they brought. Well, yeah, they brought with them. You know, so. So they've got they've got this they've got kind of this the viewing stand they've got the battle going on, and but one of the McPhersons um, from Clan Cameron or from Clan Chatham takes ill right before the battle, and there's a guy in the crowd, this um, Henry Wind or Smith, I don't know if Wind 
become Smith over time in like the Scottish lore. That'd be weird. In Scottish naming. Okay. Um, but so this guy steps forward and he's got to be like a mercenary to the bone where he st- steps forward and says, I will take his place, you know, but you guys got to pay me if I live. Uh, I mean, now I've offered to do different jobs for money, but I mean, not to this, die. This is, this is hardcore. I was like, this guy's got some confidence because he's like, I'll do it. If I live, you pay me. Yeah. If I die, I, I didn't do a good job. I mean, that's. I mean, he's pretty confident in himself, you know. Yeah, he's a I badass. Yeah, I'm thinking so. I mean, I don't know if that's the spirit of a true craftsman of death, where I'm like so confident that uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm willing to lay my life on the line. Well, that or you know, it's probably a big honor to battle. You know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know who who knows what what may transpire. You know. Yeah. So, at any rate, so the battle takes place. And historians say that it ended with the death of 19 McPhersons of the Clan Chatham and 29 of Clan Cameron. That leaves one man. That leaves one man from Clan from from Clan Cameron, and you know the there there's been some. Uh, it's been. This battle's been referenced in Scottish literature, and I'm going to read something from Sir Walter Scott's fictional account that describes the battle. And I imagine, you know, it's passed down as legend, you know, over time. But I imagine that, um, you know, I imagine it's pretty accurate. So let me read this from Sir Walter Scott on the battle. The trumpets of the king sounded a charge, and the bagpipes blew up their... Their screaming and maddening notes, and the combatants started forward at a, in a regular order and increasing their pace till they came to a smart run. Met together in the center of the ground as a furious land torrent encounters an advancing tide. Blood flowed fast, and the groans of those who fell began to mingle with the cries of those who fought. The wild notes of the pipes were still heard above the tumult and stimulated to further exertion the fury of the combatants. At once, however, as if by mutual agreement, the instruments sounded a retreat. The two parties disengaged themselves from each other to take a breath for a few minutes. About 20 of both sides lay on the field, dead or dying. Arms and legs lopped off, heads cleft to the chin, slashes deep to the shoulder to the breast. Showed at once the fury of the combat, the ghastly character of the weapons used, and the fatal strength of the arms which wielded them. So they take a break because it's gotten so gruesome and then they go back to it? No, I think that, I mean, there's like lots of them down. Okay, right so this is, this is it. This might, this might be the end of the battle or maybe they take a quick, a quick breather and finish, try and finish each other off. Okay. So by most accounts concur that only 11 members of Clan Chatham including Henry Wind, or Smith, and one of the Camerons survived the battle. There's an account where 10 of the Macintoshes survived the battle, but were all mortally wounded, only to succumb to their wounds later. Oh. 
The one Cameron who survived, after realizing the battle was lost, jumped into the River Tay and swam to safety. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. He's you like, know. I am the only and man left. <laughs> I'm the last man standing. And I can't imagine... Um, I don't know, after after all that bloodshed, you know, someone going to chase this guy down. Oh, no, it's not worth it at that point. So he's he's left the enclosure as well. Yeah, he Elvis has left the building. Yeah, he's, he's gone. He's, he's gone. But the the Henry Henry Winder Smith or yeah, Henry Winder Smith was said to be like a really major asset to this this battle. You know, he So he he survived. He, yeah, he he you know, he was right to bet on himself and and say that, you know, he he'd do this and you know, if he survived, you know, I'm taking the money. But they were they were so impressed with his fighting ability, they invited him to join the clan Chatham. I mean, so he, he definitely was an asset. So I'm assuming he got his money. I'm assuming he found a home with clan Chatham. Yeah. You know. He's like, I am but, a badass. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, they were using swords and axes. I mean, do you th did they did just, they have armor? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I I don't know. I think I think they had shields. I think they were still more kind of um, in like the heavy leather, the skins at this time. I wonder how long this battle took. You know, it doesn't sound like it would actually take that long. You know, maybe no, I, twenty I, minutes. Maybe longer. Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I don't think it would take a real long time. I mean, it's not like you're maneuvering and doing counterattacks, and you've got a lot of people involved. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just pretty much in your face, right there. You know what? What you see before you is what you have to worry about. Yeah. You know, so I don't imagine it took a long time. But, you know, and, and I would think, you know, I was thinking that, you know, once this battle took place, I mean, they've already fought in 1370, and now we're 26 years later, and these clans are still having it out, you know, and one to win the monarch's honors and one to get pardoned. You would think that, that would be enough to kind of end the feud. But, well, yeah, because the king has now stepped in. Right, the king. The king's involved, and so, you know, I I think he actually dies like the next year or the year after. Oh well, then it doesn't really stand. No, because what I found is, and I, I I'll do I'll do some checking, and maybe we'll do a really brief update, brief one on this one, but. What I found is Clan Cameron and Clan Chatham were also involved in the Battle of Palm Sunday in 1429. Over the so, same land? I, I don't know. You know, so whatever was bothering these guys did not get settled. No. <laughs> if anything, it probably <laughs> made know? it worse that the that Clan... Which one? Which one lost? Uh, Clan Cameron. Yeah, they got such a whooping that that probably didn't help. Well, if you if you think about it, they got they got whooped in the initial one, and then they got whooped again. Yeah, they got whooped in thirteen seventy. They got whooped again in thirteen ninety six. That can't sit well. 
No, but I mean, so yeah, we may have to do an update to find out. Did they get whipped again in 1429? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we can take bets if you want. If 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 our yeah. listeners want, we'll take bets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no looking, no but, peeking. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but what what initially got me looking into this whole battle of Perth was this grave. Um, the the grave of Seth Moore, um, which is in St. Truculadus. It's it's in the Kirkyard of St. Truculadus. It's T-R-U-C-A-L-D-U-S. It's there today. And Trichaldus? this Trichaldus. There you go. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I hope it's right. I like yeah. it. Tricaldus. Um But his, this Seth Moore, he died in 1405. His grave is in this kirkyard, and it's the traditional kirkyard of the Clan Shaw. Okay. But and Clan Shaw was not in the battle. Yeah, see, this this is what's kind of confusing to me. The, on his headstone, there's a sign that reads, The Grave of Seth Moore, Victor in the Combat of Perth in 1398. And it, it seems to be kind of a modern addition to the headstone, if you look at it. Well, and somebody got the date see, wrong. <laughs> yeah, and the, da- the date's wrong. However, you know, there was the one... Um, there, there, there was the one reference to the one survivor. Um, so I don't know if it's him or not. I was gonna. I wonder if maybe ha- he was another mercenary type. Maybe who joined in? Possibly. Yeah, because they're you know when looking at this battle between them, the Battle of North Inch, there was some. Um, oh, historians were kind of. A little bit divided about which clans actually took place, and I don't know if there may have been more than one clan. Okay, but like, but historians seem to agree it's Cameron and Chadden that took took place in the Battle of North Inch. But I never they had some other clans listed, but never the Clan Shaw. Interesting. Um, we had a we had a a really. A super knowledgeable guy on um, who's a professor in Scotland and does a lot of Scottish history. Um, and I'm going to reach out to him and see if he can. Oh, no. Callum, me- Callum's not a professor. Oh, he's not. Oh, I thought he was. No, he's a battle master at the Battle of Bannockburn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought he had his doctorate. He does. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But he's not a professor. He does more oh, public okay. history. Oh, okay, so I was going to kind of reach out to him and see if maybe he could give me a little information on this Seth Moore guy and maybe clear up some of what was this feud all about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he's got a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Um, so let's let's get back to the curse of, of this Seth Moore guy. Okay, so he, he his grave is topped by five stones and these stones are kind of like they're they're round they're like cheese wheels 
like big cheese wheels. And, you know, I don't know how much they weigh. Kind of looking at the pictures, I'd say 30, 40, maybe 50 pounds. Okay. And they are, they're homing stone, homing stones. And they're said to represent those who battle, who survived the Battle of the Clans. So that would be people on both sides. Now, why there's five of them, I don't know. Maybe that's a symbolic I mean, number. Yeah, or maybe um, some sort of symbolic number, or maybe one survived from one side and four from the other. You know, we had numbers higher, but maybe they died of their wounds. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not sure where they came up with five. But they're arranged on a certain order on top of this Seth Moore's grave. And supposedly the center stone is not the stone you touch because these stones have been cursed. Oh, the stones themselves um, have cur been cursed, not the grave. No, the, the stones have been cursed. Okay. And, and the curse is those who tamper with the stones are said to suffer serious illness and or even death. Right? Yeah. So in 1983, there was an iron cage put over the grave to kind of keep people from hurting themselves or messing with the stones. Okay. So along with this curse and the legend, there, there's a, a guardian spirit of the Shahs guarding the grave because this churchyard is the traditional burial place of the clan Shah. Yes, okay. And so this this has been described as an elf-like spirit with a raging temper. He's Scottish, right? <laughs> I mean, am I right? And anyway, and he's known as the Bordish Adun or Dune. Okay. So now we've got a, a, a spirit. Right. And there's been some people that have been, I don't know if they're like in the churchyard in the at night or, you know, exactly what they're doing. I mean, when we were in Edinburgh, we couldn't resist but to go into some of those medieval churchyards at night. Yeah. Just, I don't, there's no explaining it. You just got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> there's been people that have, it's said that they've been like confronted by this spirit. Okay. And if you stand your ground, it generally leaves you alone. But if you run away, it'll chase you. Now, I, I didn't find anywhere where it did harm to anybody, but it chases them. <laughs> and I, I think it's, you know, that kind of fits with the the Battle of North Inch, where, you know, those guys had to stand their ground. So if you're standing your ground, you're, you're kind of worthy. Yeah. If you're running away, you know, you're a coward. Yeah. You know, but there's more to the curse that I've, I've found. I mean, some of it was actually, you know, as, as late as the 80s and the 70s, where it's kind of documented in some of the, the nearby papers, which I which we'll kind of get to. But the one of the earliest ones was in the early 1800s when body snatching and graveyard was and grave robbery was kind of um, becoming a thing in, in Scotland. I mean, I know they did a lot of grave 
robbing to take bodies to the medical school. Oh, yeah. So they, yeah. they'd have, have cadavers. Which is the old, um, which is now the history department at the University of Edinburgh. Interesting. Yeah. So the, the post-grad room supposedly um, is where the, the bodies were taken. Wow. What if there's ghosts in there? I can see it. Okay. Yeah. So so anyway, so in the 1800s, there was a footman, an English footman, in the employ of the Duke of Bedford. And he had heard about the legend, and he's like, no, this is fictitious. So in an effort to prove that it wasn't true, he took one of the stones, and he threw it into the River Spey. He's like, and, nothing's going to happen to me. <laughs> right. So, so he throws it in the River Spey, and everything's good for about three days. So on the fourth day, the stone reappears on top of the grave. I don't know how it got there. There's no documentation. But what is found is the body of the footman in a nearby river and he had been drowned. Oh, okay. So that the guardian elf thing took him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly what happened there. Do you know? So, so that's our first kind of death is associated with the grave. That we know of. Right. And then in the interwar years between World War I and World War II, there was a journalist who wanted to discredit the story. So he went to visit the graveyard, and I guess he had an audience, and he picked up the stone, one of the stones, and put it over his head and mocked the curse oh. and said it was all fictitious. And when he was on his way home... He was involved in an accident, and he was killed. Oh. So I, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know how it's related, if it's related, but yeah, it was not a smart move to mock the stone. I don't think yeah. or the grave. And then in 1978, well, in 1977. Two of the stones disappeared from the top of the grave, only to reappear a couple of days later. Okay. Now, now, there's no adverse effects really associated with this kind of prank. But the next year, in 1978, there's three workers that are working in the churchyard. And so... One of the workers, he takes one of the stones and turns it to show it to some friends. Well, that night, he ends up in the hospital with a 103-degree temperature. Mm. And so, you know, you kind of got to wonder what's going on there. Now, another of the workers, within days rearranges the stones on the grave. I don't know if it's part of his cleaning stuff or what a part of his work, but he re rearranges all the stones on the grave. And so when they come in to work the next day, 
they find him dead in the churchyard. In the churchyard? Yeah, where he had died of a cerebral hemorrhage or a stroke after moving the stones, which is really coincidence, weird, I don't know. So they take him to the hospital, but they bring the third worker down to identify the body. And so he's identifying the body. He makes the identification. Well, this guy ends up in the hospital that night with severe stomach pains. So I don't know. I don't know if he touched a stone, but it's said to be like only one of the stones is the death stone. Okay. The one, in, the one in the middle. The middle stone is death stone. Okay. But, you know, so this guy ends up in the hospital, too. But he didn't even touch you the know? death stone. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, he lives, so we don't know. I don't know. Just association. Association, or if he touched something yeah. in the course of his duties. It's a pretty intense curse. Yeah, not, not super good, man. No. You know? But then, in 1982, five of the stones were missing for about two weeks. Hmm. And so, um, oh, the, the previous story, I think, was in the, the one about the three guys in the churchyard was in either the Perth or the Aberdeen paper at the time. Okay. And now... In 1982, all five stones are missing for two weeks. Yeah, that's no good. No, it's not good. And the police at the time said they had a really good suspect in the case. And they never could prove it was them. But they were thinking, since no um, no tragedy or illness beset him, that uh, maybe he didn't touch him. <laughs> so they're like, curse is real. Curse is real. He didn't die, so it probably wasn't him. <laughs> right. But but the but the stones do show up. Um the it's at first when they show up, it's mysteriously the the stones show back up on the grave. However, it's it's said that a John S and a Jimmy Gordon, who is the gamekeeper on the Ruthmas Church estates retrieved the stones from the river spay and put them back on there okay now now the question is is john s a descendant of the shaw clan and is that why nothing happened to these two guys well maybe nothing happened to them because they were putting them back that could be maybe that's a a cursed loophole where if you're trying to help you don't yeah, or if you're a member of the family, yeah. maybe maybe the, the spirit takes that into account. But, you know, the, the gamekeeper, the, this Jimmy Gordon guy, he, the next year, he erects the iron cage over the grave. Okay, he's now, like, nobody should touch these. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's like, no one should touch these, or, you know, I don't want John S. coming and making me jump in the river spay and retrieve five... 40 pound stones from the bottom you know yeah i i don't know you know so let's not mess with the stones people (laughs) so he puts up the he puts up the thing there's pictures of it 
you know you can go to the you can go to the churchyard and see the grave i mean i i will try and follow up with callum and see if he can enlighten me on seth moore and maybe why these guys were feuding so badly yeah and maybe get you guys a a little snippet of the update little update and you know i've got some eggle planned you know he's still eggle being eggle yeah we're gonna we're gonna have some catherine de medici eventually once i've read a couple books all right yeah so we we have plans we've got we've got plans we just yeah need to to do the plans (laughs) do the plans so yeah the you know when you start looking into these clan wars it's very very interesting you know um you know some of the you know i can picture these guys in the in the highlands doing their thing i mean it just interesting interesting stuff you know and then then to have this curse associated with it where it's actually documented you know what 400 500 years later you know more than that you know in the 1970s we're talking about it again you know 70s 80s yeah well thank you for listening to medieval murder if you have any listener questions comments or topic suggestions please feel free to reach out via our twitter account at murder medieval our instagram account at medieval murder or via email at info.medievalmurder at gmail.com also check out our new merch available on our website medievalmurder.org For a limited time, until the end of January, we are offering a 15% discount for anyone who makes a purchase using the promo code MURDER. Tune in later for our next podcast.